0: Are you ready for a new year? Whoa, six of you, maybe. Are you ready for a new year? Yeah. I want you to repeat out loud after me. Lord, I need to change. Let's do it again. Come on, Lord, I need to change. Now, how many of you would say, Pastor Steve, that's true for me? Yeah. How many of you are sitting next to someone who really needs to change? Yeah. Yeah, so leave you that. Well, that's what we're going to talk about. The, the new year is always that opportunity where we say, you know, we want things to be different, but here's the deal. Are they different? You know, have they been different yet? Uh, you know, Rachel mentioned the fact that we we often make new year's resolutions which are kinda like promises to ourselves that we actually have no intention of keeping. Um, And so again, if nothing ever changes, then nothing ever changes. Yeah, and and I wanna talk about deep change. You know, it's funny, I I was reading a story about a guy, uh, Tommy Lynn, Timothy Lynn Wallace was his name. A few years ago, uh, he decided to rob a bank in Alabama And uh, as soon as he got the money and he took off, of course, the bank employees called the police and the sheriff's department actually caught him like within 15 minutes. And when they brought him in, the sheriff uh, looked at him and said, didn't we arrest you 12 years ago for robbing this same bank? And the guy said, yes. 12 years before, he had actually robbed this very same bank and uh, had been in prison for 12 years. And just as soon as he gets out, he robs the same bank again. And the guy says to, he says to the sheriff, Timothy says to the sheriff, he said, you know, last time it took you, took you guys <coughs> three or four hours to catch me. This time you did it in 15 minutes. The sheriff said, I don't know if he was saying we're getting better at, at, at sheriffing or if he's getting worse at being a robber. I, I don't know what that means. But I thought it was interesting because here's a guy that you would say, you know, haven't you learned the lessons? You know, haven't haven't you learned that the path that you're on is not really gonna take you where you want to be? But if we get honest, his story is really a microcosm for all of us. How often do we say, I want my life to be different, but it never becomes different? Well, that's what I wanna talk about in this series. I wanna talk about not making New Year's resolutions. I wanna talk about deep Change and how that happens. Are you ready? I want you to take your sermon outlines out if you like to follow along and uh, take notes or doodle to keep yourself awake, whatever works for you. We'll throw everything up on the screen. In this series, I'm going to look at the story of God uh, bringing His people out of Egypt where they had been in bondage and setting them free. And I wanna use this storyline as just a great look at how God wants to work in our lives. I wanna look at a passage of scripture from Genesis chapter 50, beginning of verse 22. It says, so Joseph and his brothers and their families continued to live in Egypt. Joseph lived to the age of 110 he lived to see three generations of descendants of his son, Ephraim, and he lived to see the birth of, uh, the, birth of the children of Manasseh's son, Makur, who he claimed as his own. Surely, Soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers, but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and he said, when God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. And so Joseph died at the age of 110 and the Egyptians embalmed him and his body was placed in a coffin in Egypt. When I was sitting with the storyline of the Israelites in Egypt and their freedom, One of the things that hit me was Egypt was not where they were supposed to be. Uh, God had brought Abraham to Canaan, to the promised land. And that was the land that God would again eventually take them back to. But that was the land that God wanted them in. So here's the question. How did they get there? What were they doing they ended up being in Egypt for over four hundred years. Well, if you go back in the story in Genesis, what you discover is that uh, Joseph was one of the brothers of one of the sons of of, of Jacob, uh, who got sold into slavery. He ends up in Egypt, and in this storyline, God decides to use Joseph in a very strategic way. Joseph gets elevated to a position of power in Egypt. And then this huge famine sweeps through the land, even where Jacob and his other sons were living. And they were starving to death. Uh, Egypt had stored, uh, under Joseph's wisdom, had stored food. And so Jacob and his family end up going to Egypt, being reunited with Joseph, and having themselves being taken care of during that time of famine. Now, stay with me on this. I don't believe it was God's intention that Egypt would be where they would stay. It was a provision of God. It was God showing them that he could work in all circumstances. It was God taking care of them. But what happened was they settled into that land of Egypt and they never left. And as they left, they went from being honored guests in the land of Egypt to being slaves in the land of Egypt. Now, here's the deal. Look me in the eye for a second. Do you really wanna change? Because if you wanna change, here's the question you have to ask yourself today. How did I get here? How did I get here? (laughs) If you don't understand how you got to where you are, you will most likely keep repeating these patterns of attitudes and behaviors again and again. For deep change to happen, you got to know how you got to where you are. Does that make sense to you? Now, I wanna, I wanna walk you through. I had a, a ton of thoughts and I had about four hours of material when I ended up with it. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to squeeze it into two hours for you guys, okay? Now, I get 30 minutes is all Rachel will give me. So here we go. How do we get, how do we get to where we don't wanna be? I'm gonna give you several thoughts. I had a bunch of them. Let me just give you five of them. and You'll relate to some of these. Sometimes we get to where we don't wanna be because we got deceived. We got deceived. How many of you have ever been scammed before? Wow. How many of you have ever made bad decisions on the advice of people you trusted? How many of you will never trust those people again? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, when I start thinking about sometimes we we get to where we are because we put confidence in people that maybe we shouldn't have put confidence in. And sometimes we we just get deceived. That's what this culture is all about. Our culture is full of lies. That's why we, we believe we can have the, the American dream. I mean, we just come, come through the holiday season, you know, all the lies that you were told during the holiday season. Easy to assemble. <laughs> For what? An, an engineer from MIT? Are you, are you kidding me? Or, or, or easy terms of payment. Yes, it'll cost you about $200 a month for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? We, 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 all of these things that we buy into, and this is how the enemy works in our life. He, the, Jesus said that when the enemy lies, he speaks his native language. And some of us, how do we get here? We trusted the wrong people. We listened to lies. Another way that we get where we are is we just get comfortable. We just get comfortable. I think this is a part of what happened for Israel. You know they got to Egypt, and uh, Joseph was. You know he was in charge, and so they were well taken care of. They got fed, they got their stuff, and it's just kind of they settled in. And you know what? It's it's not so bad here, and they just got comfortable. And this happens to us. Some of us get to a place. Some of us get to a place of mediocrity in our own walk with God, and we just get comfortable being mediocre. Um, we sometimes we do this. This happens a lot in our marriages. Uh, you know, you get you get first get married and you're and you're passionate toward each other and you and you're making time for each other and you're you know and you're making all these good choices about your marriage and your family. And then you you get into your careers. And often what happens to a married couple is that one gets going one way and the other gets going the other way. And after a while, you just get into this pattern and you just get comfortable with this. That's going on. It's not healthy, it's not good, but you're just comfortable with it. Sometimes we get to where we don't want to be because we've made a series of bad decisions. We just have made a series of bad decisions. Come on, it's church, Sunday morning, great place to confess. How many of you have ever made a bad decision? Yeah. How many of you have ever complicated a bad decision by making another bad decision? And, and this is what we do. I was I was reading yesterday. I was reading some testimonies of of guys who had been uh, had been addicted to gambling, and they talked about how they got there and and how they got out. And one guy was talking about he he you know was never really a gambler growing up, but he, he a guy talked him into kind of getting on some online betting stuff at work, and he he said he tried it and he liked it, and he said he. He kind of liked that anticipation and that adrenaline rush of, am I gonna win? Am I gonna win? And he said, I won just enough to kind of keep me baited and I kept coming. He said, I was losing more than I was winning. He said, but it just kept me coming back. And he said, finally, he said, I just kind of got in this pattern. And he goes, eventually I was doing it at work and I ended up losing my job. And he goes, it kind of took over my life and I ended up losing my family. He goes, I lost my house. He goes, I ended up homeless on the street. He goes, I was standing on a street corner begging people for food or for, for money to buy food. He goes, and people would give me money out of the kindness of their heart. And he said, the first thing I would do would be go to the store and buy a scratcher to see if I could win some money. He said, it, was, it had taken over my life. Yeah, and he said, I, just, I got at this place where I just made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision until I finally broke. And that's what happens for many of us. Another reason we get to where we don't wanna be is because we believe we're trapped. And again, I think this plays into Israel's story as well. You know, when they first got there, they were honored guests because of Joseph, but then Joseph died. And uh, after Joseph died and the leadership in Egypt changed they started putting more pressure and they started oppressing the Israelites. And they came to a place where they just believed there's no way we're ever gonna get out of here. We can't overthrow the army. We're stuck here. And you know what? There are some of us sitting in this room, there are some of you watching online. I know this is what you're thinking. I can't change. I've tried. And you believe that the habits that you can't break or the addictions that have their chains on you or the situation that you're in, you you have convinced yourself there's no way out. It's never going to be different. You believe, think with me, you believe that your situation is stronger than our God. Look me in the eye. And it's not. Jesus Christ came to set us free. And as long as you believe this lie that you're trapped, you are gonna be stuck right where you are. And I'm gonna gonna be the one who stands before you to say, I know your life can be different. Can I give you one more? Another reason we get to where we don't wanna be is because we stopped seeking God wholeheartedly. We just stopped seeking God wholeheartedly. Again, this is what happened with Israel. You know, they, they, they've been led by God. They got to the promised land. Then after this famine, they went to Egypt. And Egypt was God's way of, of helping them out and getting them food and getting them fed. But here's what happened. Instead of continuing to seek God, they ended up letting the Egyptians become their gods. Egypt will provide for us. And they they started just turning to other things to, to meet those needs of their life. And whenever we stop seeking God wholeheartedly, here's what happens. We either choose other gods or we become our own God. And neither one of those work out so well. Amen? So what can we do? What do we need to do and this whole idea of, getting, uh, of thinking about how did I get here. Can I give you just three thoughts this morning? You ready? Here we go. Here's the first one. I believe it's really the hardest. We have to do a ruthlessly honest self-examination. We have to do a ruthlessly honest self-examination. You'll get this. How many of you really don't like looking in a mirror? Especially when you're naked. Yeah. I can still remember the day my my oldest son, Ben, when I was getting ready, I had a pair of lounge pants on, no shirt, I was gonna run out to the mailbox to get the mail. I can still remember, this was several years ago, my son looked at me and said, Dad, you gotta put a shirt on. (laughs) You know, it's not a good look. Trust me. You know, it's just, you got to look. You know, and, and we need to see ourselves through those eyes. It's that. It's that kind of that kind of experience that we need to have, and it's the one that most of us truly avoid. It, there was in, in Tucson at the at the state employment office. It was really interesting. They had a they had a, a big full length mirror, and they had a sign above it that said, "This would you hire this person." would you hire this person? And it was the challenge when you look in the mirror, would you you hire you knowing what you know about you? Well, that mirror experience is exactly what we need to have. That's why when, when you read Paul's epistles, the letters that he wrote to the churches, you'll notice that Paul, what he did is he took the word of God and he held it up as a mirror for these churches to help them look at themselves. Why? because he wanted to be harsh, because he wanted to bully them, because he wanted to condemn them? No, 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 no. He held the mirror of God's word up to these churches so they could see themselves as they really were and they could begin to let God do a changing work in them. Does that make sense to you? You know, I read a leadership book several years ago, one of my favorite books. It was called Leadership is an Art by a guy by the name of Max Dupree. And Max made a statement that was just, that blew me away. He said, the number one responsibility of leadership is to define reality. I want you to let that sink in. The number one responsibility of leadership is to define reality. And here's what he meant. He was writing this book to, to companies and CEOs and he's basically telling these guys, you know what, you, you can't lead a company into the future until you get real and honest about where your company is. And it's the same thing in life. Look at me. We can't lead our marriages forward until we really get honest about where our marriage is at. We can't lead our families forward until we get honest about where our families are at. Look at me. Leadership begins with self-leadership and you can't lead you until you get honest about you. Does that make sense? And that's, that's not easy for us. But it's in those mirror moments that God does some of his best work. Bless you. My wife, Wanda, first person I ever heard, used this phrase, the mirror experience. And she used it, she was teaching on the, uh, the story of the prodigal son, which is a story about a father who had two sons. And a younger son asked for his share of the inheritance. And the Bible says that he took his share of inheritance and he just spent it on wild living. And after he blew all that money, he ended up on a pig farm and he was feeding the pigs. And the Bible says he was starving so bad that he wanted to eat what he was feeding the pigs. And as Wanda told this story, she said, what I believe happened on that day was this boy, as he was feeding the pigs, there was this mud puddle, and he looked in the mud puddle, and he saw his own reflection. And that was the day when he realized what he had become. And in his mind, as he's looking at this tattered image of himself and he's remembering living in his father's home and his father's love and his father's abundance and he's looking at himself now and he asks himself the question, how did I get here? And this boy who had made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, the scripture says this happened. <laughs> and when he came to his senses. He made a good decision. I think I'll go home to my father. That was the beginning of his deep change, was this boy having this mere experience. Now, hear my heart. When's the last time you honestly and ruthlessly looked at you? There's a passage of Scripture that, um, quite frankly, I I often pray the Scripture as I I walk um, because it helps me remember that it doesn't matter if you're a pastor or who you are in this journey, you always need God working in your life. It's from Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Would you read it out loud with me? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now, some of you have heard me tell this before. When we we read this scripture, what's funny is when you read Psalm 39, the psalmist has spent 22 verses talking about God, you know me. You were there when I was knit together in my brother's womb. You're you're there if I go to the highest heights or the deepest depths. He spends all of this about how much God knows him. Then he gets here and he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. But here's the deal the psalmist really isn't praying for God to know him. Here's what he's really saying Lord, help me know me like you know me. Search me. Take my eyes. Let, let me see myself through your eyes. Let me understand where I am because the moment we see ourselves where we are in truth, that's the beginning of the deep change because as painful as the truth is, it's the truth that sets you free. Amen? You bet. Here's, here's a second thought. and This is difficult as well. Kill the pride Instead of waiting for the pain to kill you. (laughs) Kill the pride instead of waiting for the pain to kill you. One of the most truthful quotes I ever read was this, and throw it up on the screen for me. People don't change because they see the light. They change because they feel the heat. (laughs) And that's so true. If you're asked the question, when do most people change, the answer to that question is often they don't change until they hurt bad enough that they have to. And and, and why is that? It's because pride keeps us from changing. We, We think we can fix this mess all on our own, and we can't. We need to be able to come to a place and say, you know what, I, I know I need the help of God. Pride, pride gets in the way so much. I, I love the passage of scripture in Proverbs 11 and verse 12, or verse two. Read it out loud with me. Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. And you say, well, Pastor Steve, how can I, how can I identify pride in my life? How does it come out? Well, let me give you a few ways. Pride causes us to live in denial. It causes us to live in denial. Any of you ever have a friend or a family member or a coworker that has issues and everyone is aware that they have issues except the person with the issues? Yeah, why is that? Because they're living in denial. You see, pride says, you know, I'm Okay. Pride says, I'm, I'm good, uh, there's nothing wrong. Pride, pride refuses to look at itself, and so they, they live totally in denial of, uh, of anything going on. Or number, the second way is that pride, pride sometimes minimizes the consequences. Pride minimizes the consequences. Here, here's what'll happen, people will finally have to admit, they go, well, yeah, I've got issues, but it's not that bad. I've got this under control. I can stop anytime I want. Well, I know, and, and I, I'm gonna work on that. And what's happening? They're minimizing, you know what? My, my family's okay, my, you know, it's, it's not really happening. And we begin to minimize the impact, not just on our own lives, but on the impact that we're having on the people around us. It's, it's so interesting to me how, how we can watch our families deteriorate right in front of our eyes and yet convince ourselves it's not that bad. Why? The enemy's making us believe it, you know it's not really going on, and so we minimize these consequences. Here's another one. You've, you've, you probably have dealt with this. Pride deflects responsibility. Pride deflects responsibility. What's that mean? Simply this. Pride causes us to blame everyone else around us. I don't have anger issues. You make me mad, <laughs> You know, no, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, it's you, it's them, it's my, it's my spouse's fault, it's my parents' fault, it's my kids' fault, it's my boss's fault. We spend an eternity passing the blame and we get it honest. I mean, this goes all the way back to the garden. You remember that, right? You know, when Adam sins, Adam and Eve sin, and God comes on the scene and he goes, Adam, what have you done? What did Adam say? It's all me, Lord? Is that what he said? No, what did he say? He says, The wife you gave me. You know, I was fine in the garden, Lord. I was doing great. You, know, you showed up with this woman, you know, who's gonna, who's gonna be all that. And then she wasn't. You know, now look at the mess. You know, it's not my fault. And so God says, to Eve, what, well, Lord, what did you, you know, what have you done? And she goes, it wasn't me. The devil made me do it. Now, come on, it's just us. Some of us have made a life out of blaming people around us. And look, I love you, but you're never going to change until you take responsibility for you. Amen? One more. Pride prevents us from asking for help. Pride prevents us from asking for help. guy named Brian Hopper, a few years back, uh, he decided he wanted to take a one-man cruise down the Sacramento River, California. And so he bought a, a $300 raft and kind of uh, duded it up a little bit, put some things with it. And he decided he was gonna take this, this cruise by himself. He was kind of an outdoors guy. And as he was floating down the river, um, his raft sprung a leak, and he ended up on this deserted island about a mile from shore. And he's, the weather's not good. It's windy. Uh, it's raining off and on, and he's trying to fix this raft, and he's like, he couldn't get it. And he thought, this is going to take more than I thought. All he had taken with him on this, on this journey on the river was two burritos uh, a, a jar full of vitamins, <laughs> and believe it or not, a life-size mannequin of Arnold Schwarzenegger. On the true story, true story. You can look it up. So he, he's, on this, he's on this island, and he eats all of his food the very first day, and it gets too dark, so he waits till the next day, and that's when he starts scouring the island a little bit, and he found some styrofoam, and he's trying to put that around his raft. And then the wind kicks up, and it starts raining really hard, and he realized he can't really explore this island. The weather's just too terrible. He'll never find his way back. And so he stays, and by the third day, now he's starting to get hungry, He's still trying to figure it out. So he took, a, he took a, a red sheet that he had, or a red piece of cloth, and he took some duct tape and he made an SOS on this red sheet that he had, this red piece of paper piece of fabric, and he hung it on a tree pointing toward the river, hoping that maybe a boat would come by and see this SOS that would probably not be viewable from more than about 50 yards offshore. And so that, he goes by. By the fourth day, he's starving. And so he goes, ventures on the island a little bit. He finds some mustard plants. Now he's eating plants to to survive. And by the fifth day, his body is breaking down. He's starting to get weak. He realizes he's not gonna make it if he doesn't get some help soon. So he finally does what he really didn't wanna do. He took out his cell phone and called for help. Are you getting this? This kid who could have called immediately when he landed on shore, waited until he was starving to death, about to go into a coma, before he finally took his cell phone out, called a friend, told a friend, I don't know where I'm at, but I know there's a naval base across the way because I hear him play Reveille every day. And he goes, I can see a a ship off in the distance. And the friend calls the Coast Guard who were able to triangulate his position and they were able to rescue him and he was safe and sound, though still stupid. (laughs) Now, when I read this story, look at me. When I read this story, gang, I kept saying, this is our story. This is our story. How many of us know there's something wrong in our life, but we refuse to ask for help? How many of us know there's something not right in our marriage, but we refuse to ask for help? How many of us know we have a habit or an addiction or a problem we can't solve or something we can't break and yet we refuse to ask for help? Look at me. I'm gonna tell you what your friends and family may not tell you. Your pride is gonna kill you. Unless you let the humility take over and ask, do the one thing that you really don't wanna do Ask for help. Look at me, gang. You're only alone if you choose to be alone. Give you one more. The other thing you have to do is to confess your need for change to God. Confess your need for change to God. Open confession changes everything. I love how Proverbs 28:13 says it. Read, it. read it with me. People who conceal their sin will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. I read this quote. I thought this was huge. Concealment makes the soul a swamp. Confession is how you drain it. tell you one of the things I secretly love about being a grandparent. I get to watch all the cartoons with my kids. You know, you reach an age where you're not supposed to like cartoons anymore. I still love them. And I get to watch all the animated shows that my my grandkids enjoy. And uh, one of the ones that uh, this really got a great storyline to it is the movie Toy Story. How many of you ever seen Toy Story? Yeah, some of you aren't holding your hand up, but I know you have. I know you have. Toy Story is the story of a boy named Andy who has this group of toys that you know kind of come to life when he's not around. And Woody is a cowboy who's kind of the head of that toy group until the day that Andy gets a brand new toy. What was the name of that brand new toy? Uh, everybody's seen it. Yeah, Buzz Lightyear. And he gets, this, he gets this new toy and all of a sudden, you know, Woody's kind of left to the side and Buzz began, but there's a problem with Buzz. You remember the problem? Buzz doesn't believe he's a toy. He thinks he's real. He thinks he's really a space ranger. He thinks he can fly. He, he thinks his laser can cut holes in things. He, he, he thinks he's got a radio where he can talk to, talk to the base. You know, and he, he, he's convinced himself he, he's alive. And there's this struggle that goes on through the entire movie. Until the end of the movie, for, in, in, the, in the first Toy Story, at the end of the movie, Buzz sees this commercial and this store is selling Buzz Lightyear's. And all of a sudden, Buzz realizes he's not who he thought he was. And he flips his little thing up on his wrist and it says, made in Taiwan. (laughs) And he raises up his foot and it's got Andy written on the bottom of his foot. And Buzz realizes he was a toy. But here is what Woody told him. He said, Buzz, it's okay being a toy because Andy loves you just as you are. Let this speak to you. You don't have to lie about where you're at. You don't have to lie about who you are. Look at me. God loves you right where you're at. He loves you just as you are, and his desire is to absolutely make you the best version of who you can be. But he can't do that until you're willing to confess where you're at. Amen. Look at me. Do you really want to change? Are you ready for your life to be different than it's been? Well, Paul was writing to the Corinthians and he was talking specifically about receiving the Lord's Supper. He says, you know, a person ought to examine themselves. I think it might be good for us just to take a moment to examine ourselves. And just reflect, where are we in our journey of life? Where are we with God? Look at me, it it doesn't matter where you're at. The, The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. And today, all you gotta do is get honest with yourself and get honest with God. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful, just, to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he's a brand new creation. The, the old is gone. And behold, all things become new. But they can't, you can't become a new person until you admit the old person that you are. I, I want you to just spend a moment reflecting before God. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. Confess to God where you're at and ask him to help you become. All that he knows you can be. Lord, we hold in our hands today the reminder of your great love for us. It's also the reminder that you never expected us to be perfect. You knew that we would fall. You knew that we would fail. You knew we would just end up flat on our faces in life. But that that didn't have to be the end of the story. When we're willing to admit where we're at, when we're willing to kill the pride that's holding us back, and when we're willing to confess our need before you, you are willing to work deep change in our lives. So, Father, today we confess. Hear our hearts, Lord, for every single one of us watching in this room, for every single person watching this online or listening to this message today. Lord, as they confess their hearts before you, as they confess their need before you, wrap your arms of grace around them. Let them know, Lord, you love them. It was while we were yet sinners that you died for us. And today, like the prodigal son coming home, Lord, you run to meet us so that we can enjoy the fullness of the life that you have promised. Father, today we thank you. We confess before you we've tried to change ourselves and we just don't have the ability. So God, here today we ask, work your deep change in us. Lord, as we continue, maybe to to spend some time reflecting this week on who we are and how we got to where we're at, Lord, my prayer is that you will give us ruthless honesty that we can admit before you and admit before ourselves where our lives are at. Help us to live in truth because it's that truth that can set us free. Father, again, we remind you today that our freedom costs you everything. And so for this bread that represents your body and this juice that represents your blood, we give thanks today. In the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said.